Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belisle, and today you are listening to or watching Radio Maine with me and with artist Alan Bunker. Alan, it's really great to have a chance to actually sit down and talk with you, given that uh, I think you and I have known each other for quite a few years, and you know, sometimes the, the more in-depth conversations are harder to have around the art gallery when you're doing a, an opening and that sort of thing. So thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you, Dr. Leith. I really appreciate it, the opportunity to uh, talk about art. Well, and I love talking about art because it's uh, obviously it's kind of a, it's counter to what I do in my normal everyday, my normal kind of practicing medicine world. And you have a similar uh, backstory. You were in construction and you owned your own business and you did this for many, many years. So tell me a little bit about uh, getting into art as a full-time career. Well, construction is very stressful, and um, there's a lot of demands. There's a lot. You're juggling balls in the air all over the place. And, um, you know, after a while, you feel that. And I was probably in my 40s when I really started feeling it. It was like almost like cumulative. It just built up and to the point where I was experiencing chest pains, and, but, you know, for no reason. I'm healthy, basically, and um, I don't know how it happened, but I got a hold of some watercolor, and this painting to behind me is the very first painting that I ever did. It's a watercolor. I did it on Cape Cod, and the thing that propelled me to go further and is that somebody liked it, and that's... Um, to me, that's what it's all about, really. It's, it's, you know, it's probably immature or whatever, but when somebody tells you that they like your work, there's nothing better than that. And then when they buy it, that's even better. But somebody, uh, my wife's friend, Kathy, said, she said, wow, you did that? And I was like, yeah, I, I did that. And it, it just, uh, it was exciting to me. So that was in 1991, actually, and because it says so on the painting, that's how I remember that. And um, so I just started painting more and more, and um, then whenever we went up to Whippe Harbor or on Cape Cod and um, or on vacation, I would bring my paints with me. I was still doing construction. I still am doing construction, but um, this was a way to escape and just I just kept developing it and then I remember um, probably in 2004 I said to my wife Priscilla um, I want to do this full-time and she was like oh no because <laughs> that's not good you were in construction we had a nice house and everything and uh, she just saw it all crumbling down which is kind of what happened anyways but uh, uh, I, I just knew that I, I was done with construction. I just couldn't do the stress anymore. So we moved to Acton, Maine. And um, I had a great studio there. And I didn't have any representation, but I was learning how to paint and, and developing that whole craft. Um, so then we moved to Booth Bay Harbor and our vacation home. We moved into our vacation home. And then I said, well, I'm in Booth Bay Harbor. This, and I had never been to Booth Bay Harbor in um, July or August. We always went in September. And when the crowds were gone and stuff like that. 
And when we first moved there, there was a million people there. The sidewalks were like five deep on in, in July and August. I couldn't believe it. And I said, well, I can, I can do something here. I'm a businessman. I can do something here. So we opened uh, the Alan David Gallery. And I was selling other people's work, other artists' work, not my own. And then someone said to me, you should put your own art out. So I put a little piece out. And a guy from New York um, came and, and liked it and, and said he wanted to buy it. And then he said, can you tell me a little about the artist? And I said, well, I'm the artist. And he's like, well, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> so, um, again, that was this, this coolest thing ever that somebody liked my painting enough to actually want to buy it. And um, so then the next year... Was, so this is 2008, and September of 2008, people, the, the cliff had just, people just walked off the cliff with their finances, you know, their, their 401ks and everything had cut in half just about. So it was very difficult to sell any art, but we didn't, but that was just like, we thought, it's, this can't be happening all, this isn't going to continue. And a big store opened up in Booth Bay Harbor. And, um, you know, right on the corner of the footbridge, and it was a great space. So I renovated the whole um, building out of my own pocket. I didn't own the building, but I, but I did it. And we had a really cool gallery, but it was 2009 and 2010. And we just, we just couldn't make enough money to pay the rent, and the heat, and everything that was involved with it. So um, we had to close. And after probably about... 2014 or so it was just uh, we just couldn't hang on anymore and then um, Portland Art Gallery contacted me our collector Maine at the time and would I like to be an artist in the gallery at the Grand and Kenny Bunkford and sure it was perfect timing I, I was kind of getting out of that my own gallery and I needed representation and um, so uh, there were about a dozen artists or so that were the uh, initial artists at the gallery, and um, Joanne Parent and uh, Bill Crosby. I, I I don't know who else. I can't remember the other names, but they were because they're still you know here. But uh, so I don't know. It's the long answer, I suppose. Well, sometimes I think it's really important to hear people's stories of um, things not working out the way that they wanted to, because sometimes it's easy to, for each of us to believe that maybe we're the only ones who have gone through these really difficult times. And then, you know, when I when I hear your story, and, and certainly I had my own experience of 2008, um, it, it's just a good reminder that, you know, you can you can do everything right and all of the possible things you can think of. And if you don't have the economy on your side and there's just bigger things going on, mm -hmm. you know, there's an aftermath. Yeah, right. Yeah. So do you think that, um, do you think there'll be almost a, a parallel for what's going on now with uh, COVID as we're hopefully coming, we keep all saying we're coming out of COVID, so I'm, I'm hoping that that's actually true, but but do you think we're going to have somebody in 
you know, 20 years looking back and say, well, this is what happened to me in, you know, 2020. Well, I heard something yesterday about kids wearing the mask that are developing their speech patterns by seeing their stu- their teachers' lips and things like that. And they've been lacking that for two years. That's probably going to come back years from now. Just That's just one example of things that could come back. Think, little things that you don't think about like that. As far as the economy, I, I don't know. I, I was just telling Kevin, I'm trying to buy a new truck, and there's none available. You can't find them. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not an economist at all. <laughs> so, I don't know what the answer to that is. But you are a small business owner, and you are, a, I would call you a serial entrepreneur, and you've undertaken a lot of risk in your life, and you've seen kind of downturns and successes. So I think that's the question that I'm asking you really is, is do you think people are going to be able to find ways to make this arguably a downturn in our world into something um, that we can learn from? Yes, definitely. But more specifically, entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. They, I, I've never since high school worked for anybody else. I just, it's not me. I'm not going to do it. So even if it means uh, sitting at home for, you know, which is the worst thing in the world, but, um, you know, entrepreneurs will find a way. And um, people, some people aren't entrepreneurs and they're going to work for somebody else and they're going to find a way too. They're going to find a job or whatever, whatever they have to do. Um, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's kind of how I see it. I mean, I kind of um, adjusted my entrepreneurial life to fit different economies and things like that. In other words, when things are going great and you have a lot of money and a lot of uh, work, I would hire more people. But now I've cut it down to basically just my brother and myself and my cousin enough that we, you know, we're all older. We don't want to work eight hours, five days a week. We just, you know, we just don't do that anymore. So it, it works. Um, so we've adjusted to what we have to do. And that gives me more time to paint stuff too, which is good. You know, you need that too. So I'm very happy with my life right now. Um, I, I don't have a lot of stress. And not that, not that having stress is like the worst thing in the world, but if, if you can avoid it, it, it has a value. It definitely has a value to, to uh, avoid, not avoid, but minimize stress if it's too much i think you have a have you have enough because you, otherwise you won't get out of bed but if you uh, have too much it's just not good that's my experience yeah I, I think i think what you're describing is um really true i mean i think if you if there's not enough of something to kind of push up against and feel challenged by then that stunts your growth. And on the other hand, if you're pushing up against something that's just so heavy that you, you never feel any forward motion, then that's extremely um, stunting and disheartening as well. So m- moving back to your art, um, it, it sounds like you've always kind of taken the situation, whatever situation you're in, and you figured out a way to make it work. And, and my understanding is that that's similar with the way that you've approached your art is you've, you've, figured out what you needed to know in order to be an artist and you've taught yourself um, 
really the, the craft. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, that's true. And, you know, experiences is a, a big thing too, because I know now what I don't want to do. I don't always know how to do what I want to do, but I know what I want to do and I, and I know what I don't want to do. So that's a big part right there. Cause I think as you're developing as an artist, you, um, I don't know if it's, if you're seeing other work, I, I tend to stay away from that. I tend to not try to emulate other artists. I, cause I, it's, I feel like it's all inside of me and, um, I need to find out what that is rather than seeing something and trying to say, Oh, I want to do that. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of off track here, but <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I think you raise a really important point when you talk about finding something inside of yourself. And it's also an incredibly difficult thing to do. I mean, I, I arguably it's easier to listen to what other people are telling you or to see what other people are showing you and and model um, the work that you're doing after theirs, which which certainly has a place. But understanding your own self and understanding where you're coming from and figuring things out, um, kind of the idea of finding your voice, I think that that's something that many people struggle with. So it's, you know, either way, you're going to be challenged, either to you're challenging yourself to create exact cop copies of someone else's pieces, or you're challenging yourself to kind of dig deep. Wouldn't you say? Yes. Yes. Except for, you know, uh, I, I, I don't like it when artists just copy, whether it's the landscape that's in front of them or I don't know about portraits because you're trying to actually make it a likeness of the person, but landscapes, for example, if, if it's just, we used to have, I used to paint plein air in Boothby Harbor with the plein air painters of Maine. And um, we used to have this joke where people would say, uh, like uh, spectators would come by, they'd drive by, oh, yeah, the comment and stuff like that. And we used to have this joke that if you if you wanted it to look exactly like what you're seeing, just take a picture. You know, you don't need a painting for that. Just take a picture, take a photograph. It's going to be better than anything you can do anyway. So. So there's a point where it's, it becomes art. It's not just a copy. And I think that artists need to get to that point. They need to discover what is going to make this art and not just a copy, no matter what it is. Even if it's a fruit bowl, it, it shouldn't just be a copy. It should be art. There should be more to it that, that makes it art, not just a photograph. That's just my opinion. I do feel, obviously, kind of strong about that, though. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. If, I mean, if everybody is just copying something that somebody else has done, then really it's just ongoing, you know, perpetual iterations of the same. So then there's, it really doesn't show a lot of creativity. I think I was just more referring to the idea of maybe the early learning process where you use... Um, you know, models as a way to to kind of cement technique or, um, you know, kind of think about things like perspective um, as a kind of a, a launching point 
which I think that that's what I hear often when people are talking to me about this. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a learning curve. There's definitely, um, you know, techniques and tools and things like that. But, um, I'm more speaking like philosophically as an artist or a developed artist. This is what you need to get to, in my opinion, in my opinion is worth, you know, whatever. Well, I think I agree with you, and I in and I've seen this be true really even in my field. You know that when I first started learning medicine, I was learning the language of medicine, and then I kind of began learning the, the craft of medicine, and then you know it's kind of successive layers. So then it's kind of the art of communication. It's the art of translating the information back to the patient. It's the art of working with the team. So, I mean, I think there are, there are parallels probably across the board and people who really want to get proficient in things that they're doing in their lives. Right. Do you think that more successful people are more focused on one particular thing? Like a surgeon would, would want to be a really good at cutting you know, or operating on people better than communicating. Like you think of what was that guy House or, you know that show that he was the doctor, he was like a horrible person, but he was a great doctor. So I, I don't know if it, is that better or worse. I don't know. I don't know. I hear what you're saying though. There's a lot involved with it. I kind of feel like as an artist, I wish that it was just art. I wish that people would just look at my art instead of me and you know the things that I'm that I'm not good at or whatever, but. It doesn't seem to be the way. And it's probably true about anything in life. Yes. There's there's kind of the thing, and then there's all the stuff around the thing. You know, so yeah. there's the art itself, yeah. but then there's actually connecting with people who want to buy your art. There's, you know, going to gallery openings and doing things like this with me, which probably are a little bit outside your comfort zone. Right, right. So talking about what's in your comfort zone, tell me about this piece that's actually behind me in the studio right now. Yes, that's called, the name of the piece is Gone to Heaven. That's what uh, Kevin told me earlier because he looked on the back. Because <laughs> I, I have a lot of pieces I can't always remember. I know the name Gone to Heaven. I can tell you how I got the name Gone to Heaven too. I was telling a friend of mine, uh, Carol, that she asked, how do you come up with your names for your paintings? And I said, well, I listen to music all the time when I'm painting. I have to have music on. It's almost like it makes my hand work. And that, the name of that painting is from the Pixies. And the name of the uh, song was This Monkey's Gone to Heaven. Do you remember that song? Yes. No, it's a great song. And I always thought it had to do with medical experiments, like this monkey, you know, was a test monkey, which is horrible, but that's what I always, so anyways, I catch on that little bit of the name, Gone to Heaven. Oh, that's a cool name for a painting. So that's how I named that painting. Um, as far as the, uh, the painting itself, if you, it, 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 that painting is right there in the experimental mode. What am I, I'm, I'm experimenting with technique and, um, I, I can't see the whole painting. I don't know if your audience can or not, but uh, there's dripping in the clouds and things like that. And, it, it, you know, that a lot of my work is trying different uh, ideas and 
different ways of applying the paint. Um, I was telling somebody at the opening last night, they were, they was, uh, Cooper Dragonette was saying, um, what do you use, a, a knife or a brush? And I get that a lot because the thing is I use both. And I was saying to him, sometimes I'll take a piece of um, cellophane or plastic wrap from the gallery, from the canvas, when I open it and I'll just crunkle it up and uh, use that as a brush. So whatever, whatever um, the tools are not that important. I've, I feel that way in construction too. A tool is just something that will get the job done. Some people are very particular about their tools, like this is, this is the right tool for the right job. I've never been like that. Whatever works, that's just my opinion about it. But um, so I use I use whatever is at hand to actually create the paintings, as long as I can get enough interest and um, you know variation and texture and things like that. Do you have a sense in talking to people who like your art and who um, buy your art? And I know that you've been really very successful at um, having developed a following. Do you have a sense for what it is that people find attractive about your art? What is it that's that's drawing them to the work that you do? I used to. I don't so much anymore. I used to. I used to think it was the simplicity. I mean, well, when I had my own gallery, I would interact with the artists much more. I mean, the uh, the buyers much more than I do now. So I used to, you know, I could kind of tell what they were buying. But that's another, that's a like a mystery to me because the paintings that I feel are the best paintings I ever did, how can this even last a day in the gallery? Those are the ones, you know, they don't always sell and I get them back and, the, and then... Some will sell that I don't understand. You know, I didn't think it was that good of a painting, but it was different, which is what I'm kind of going for. So um, it, I, I, I guess I don't know really what exactly people see in my work, um, except for maybe what I see in it. And, you know, that there is that, that um, I feel like if someone buys my painting, they they're getting me, they understand what I was trying to do and, and they appreciate it and they connect with it. And that's all good. So I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I think it, it does. And I, and it's, it's interesting because I will talk to some artists and they will have a sense of what sells and they'll, they'll paint to what sells. And then I talk to someone like you who says, well, I'm not really sure. So if you're not really sure, then it means you don't have to paint to what sells. You, you paint. And then that gives other people the opportunity to respond. And it, it does, um, I mean, it's a little bit of a leap of faith, I would imagine, that you're engaging in as you're creating the work that you're doing. Yeah. It, it, yes, it is. It, it, but I'm not trying, well, I shouldn't say that because... There's always the pressure to sell. There's always the pressure to please somebody else, let's say. But better, uh, I'm more true to myself and better if, I, if I'm if i not thinking that way at all. I'm just trying to create the best piece that I can. And that's more true. That I do that more, you know, obviously more than trying to uh, 
uh, paint to the crowd or to the to the buyer. But um, yeah, it, it it's so much experiment with me because I I'm I get bored. Um, I you know I, I I don't know how to describe it, but I have to I paint very quickly and I have to get. Uh, the idea or the uh, the feeling that I'm trying to get it has to come quickly it has to be there or it's never going to be there you know so I don't know well it's it's interesting because you're you've had the opportunity to understand what you need to do in order to be a a good business person I mean you you've been self-employed your whole life. So you know that you need to kind of keep the, the lights on and pay the bills and, you know, you have to keep those things into consideration. But then you're also uh, aware as an artist of that, that counterbalance, that, that knowing that doing the work that you do, it seems to contribute to a more balanced life for you. It seems like doing too much on the, on the one side caused a lot of stress for you. So this, doing it this way, has has brought you back into a sense of um well as i said balance yeah um yeah i think i think that's true i uh, friend an artist friend of mine years ago said when we when we owned the gallery um and they had to get their own gallery and i was struggling with something whether i should do this particular thing or not i forget what it was now but she said just do it because every everyone else is doing the same thing like the same like everyone people come into the gallery and they've they've already seen a lot of stuff so do something different if if so if and it's the same with paint it's the same with the the painting if it's if it's different it's probably going to be good because no one else has seen it you know which is actually one of the things i really like about painting is that each piece is unique. There's no two pieces that are the same. And to me, that's, I get a kick out of that. It's not just that, I mean, and actually, that's kind of funny to say that because a lot of my paintings, look, to me, they look exactly the same, but I know that they're not. Ellen, did you know when you were growing up that you had an interest in art? Well, I've been drawing every day of my life. I draw you know, I always have graph. It's always graph paper type stuff, though. It's not like landscapes and things like that. Isn't that funny? But, um, but it, all day, every day, I'm drawing. You know, every time I sit in my chair or whatever, I'm drawing. And I did that since I was a kid too. And um, art is in my family. My two aunts were wonderful artists. Dottie May and Laurel Bunker were fabulous artists. And they're both gone now, but um, they were big inspirations to me and I other other things too other artists too that I saw and I'm like wow if I could do that and, and um, I kind of forgot your questions <laughs> well I think you've answered it you talked about um, even when you were younger just always having I guess a, a graph paper in front of you and, and be working on drawings and yeah, I'm assuming that this lent itself well to the work that you do in construction then. Yes. Yeah, that's that's true. I'm always designing. And, you know, people say, well, how is, 
is construction and art related? How are they how are they related? And to me, they're exactly related because when I'm even designing a kitchen or a layout for a floor plan or bookcases or any, anything that has to be designed is, is a lot of um, decisions to make. And with a painting, it's the same way. There's decisions after decisions. They have to be done quickly with the, for me anyway, I'm, you know, but there's, they're all decisions. Like, do I, do I do this? What do I do here? What do I do here? And that's the same thing with construction. I think anyway, um, even if, even if I don't do the design work, I still have to build the thing that someone else has designed and it's all decisions. It's all small little decisions. And sometimes, um, you know, with the same with the painting there, they have to be made uh, quickly and they have to be sometimes made in advance and then sometimes not. A lot of times, same with the painting and in construction, a lot of times the decisions are made as it's happening. And that's not always a bad thing, but sometimes it is a bad thing. They should be made beforehand. So it's, it's this balance between planning and spontaneity that, um, make them both work, whether it's construction or, or painting. And, and in your family, do you, were your parents uh, business people? I mean, did you, when, when, you know, you have this very specific approach to having lived your life uh, professionally and personally. Did this come from somewhere so that you felt like, oh, I can do this. I can, I can be the one who makes the decisions. Yeah, I have, uh, I have four uncles and three on, on my mother's side and three of them are Masons and two of them were self-employed Masons. And I looked at, when I was like a teenager, I looked at their lives and I said, Hmm, the ones that are self-employed, they seem to have bigger houses and newer trucks and things like that. So that was kind of, that kind of made it easy for me to say, Oh, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to have the bigger truck and the newer house. So, um, so that was like easy, but no, my parents were not, um, business minded per se. And actually my father worked for me for 15 years when he, he basically got laid off from, he was a factory job his whole life and he got laid off and he worked for me for many years. So, which was great because I worked with my dad every day for probably the last, you know, 15 years of his life. And that was, you know, I didn't realize it at the time. But that was really special. And I've worked with my brothers. Two of my brothers worked for me for many years, and one of them still does. And um, I, you wouldn't get that. You don't get that, right? But that's been great. And I really do appreciate that. And so it, it sounds like one of the things you really value about the life that you've created for yourself is that, that you have created it, that, that you've made a series of very conscious decisions whether it's related to your business or where you're living with Priscilla or, you know, employing your family or taking on art. And, and this is self-directed. This is something that you have done for you. Well, yes, that's probably true. Yes. You make decisions. I feel like, uh, you know, man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his paths. That's my kind of philosophy. Yes. Make decisions. Yes. Go. Yes, do. But you don't have any real control over that. 
That's not really your job. It's not your job to uh, be perfectly safe and secure and everything like that. I, I just don't think that is. Your job is to is to go and do and, and, and make decisions and, you know, not agonize over it. Just, you know, that's another thing that pet peeve of mine when people kind of, uh, no, should I have done this, should I have done that? Just do it. S someone said, uh, how do I know that it was God's will that I married my wife? And the guy said, well, she said yes. You know, <laughs> so I don't know. Well, I really appreciated the opportunity to talk with you today, and I think uh, you know, my 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 father is also in medicine. We haven't really worked together closely, but you know, I did some of my initial training with him in family medicine, and I absolutely agree with you. There's there's really nothing more special than that, and I've always also valued that time with him. So it's uh, the, there are things that I can relate to in what you're saying, even though what you do and what I do on the face are very different. So I appreciate your time and I appreciate opportunity, Dr. Lisa. I really do. And um, I hope that I wasn't too boring for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 I enjoyed our conversation and I do want to point out for anybody who is a regular listener, um, th this is not an easy thing for people to do. I mean, this is, I, I suspect you have not done that many recordings and probably most of them for the art gallery. So for you, this is uh, this is really something that you have done at our request. And we really appreciate it because I think getting the chance to know you this way is, is special. So, so thank you for your willingness to kind of do things that are a little bit uncomfortable with us today. Well, thank you. And thank Kevin for uh, persisting. <laughs> I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you have been listening to or watching Radio Maine and my conversation with artist Alan Bunker, who is at the Portland Art Gallery. I encourage you to go to the Portland Art Gallery and see some of his work. It is just stunning in person. Um, it's equally wonderful to look at on the website, and uh, there are many examples of his work there. Alan, thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Dr. Lisa. I appreciate it.